five, four, three, two, one. Bazinga. Bazinga. Hello and welcome back to the Now Showing Podcast. I'm your host Sam and as always I'm joined by my glamorous assistant Jordan Luke McDonald. Right, I've actually come to uh, have a bit of contention with that term now. So first of all, I think glamorous is way off the cards. And secondly, uh, assistant, I think should be promoted to co-host um, for now. Well, people don't say my glamorous co-host, that's not like a saying. I think you could just say my... Five out of ten looking co-host would probably <laughs> suffice. <laughs> yeah, okay. Manchester's favourite midget, Jordan Luke McDonald. Good evening, afternoon, wherever you are in the world. I've noticed as well I've been saying that and not really thinking about people on the other end. Hello, oh, hello. Yeah. Hi. So um, today we're going to be looking at our oldest films that we've, uh, we've done on the podcast so far. We're looking at 1957 uh, law, drama... 12 Angry Men, and the 1960 thriller horror, Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. So, uh, yeah, you know, I think before this, what the oldest thing we did would have been Blade Runner, probably? Goodfellas or Blade Runner? Oh, Blade Runner's 19... Oh, no, no, it's The Shining, 1980. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I knew yeah, something was 1980, 1980. I can't which character it was. Yeah, so this is uh, the oldest film we've done in the podcast, the two oldest films, and uh, taking a look back in time, but before that... Uh, obviously, got to start with a quiz. You've got no clue what it is, as of always. You know, I'm bringing it out of the bag. And we're talking about modern stuff. We're talking about stuff that's happened in the last week. And within the last week, the um, the, the I think the biggest, hottest drop, the most talked about, the, the, the film of now, is The Kissing Booth 2. It's been released on Netflix. Oh, Are you aware God. of The Kissing Booth 2? I am aware of The Kissing Booth 2. I haven't even watched the first one. I didn't even know it was a thing, I don't think, until I saw the sequel. And then I heard that they're doing a third film, apparently. So They are. It, it doesn't. It hasn't done well critically. It, it's hated by audiences. But the people that don't rate it, the people that do watch it, the people that do love it, are the young teenage girls. And, and they're, they're, and the uh, they're going to keep... Hope. Yeah, hopefully. But, you know, you can't you can't be too sure. I'm sure the, the people that made Sharknado 4 knew that it wasn't very good. But in that, that romantic, loving vibe, I thought I'd give it a, a quiz to match. And um, But obviously keeping it still to the, to the film industry, obviously. So today, we're not doing a traditional quiz that we did in the last two episodes of points and you get a prize. Today, we're finding out we, we're gonna. I'm gonna. We're doing a, a BuzzFeed esque quiz with with, uh, with 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 you today, JL, and uh, I'm going to giving you uh, a series of moves. This is off a of Quizly.co. I'm stealing it. Um, as you as you credited, good good. good uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna give you some movies, and I'm gonna list some people. I'm gonna say your biggest crush from each movie, and based on that, what? it's gonna work out your current relationship status. Oh, so can okay, I okay, confirm I to so the audience quiz, your current? What do you mean? It's a BuzzFeed quiz. It's, it's much like a BuzzFeed quiz. Okay. Can you just confirm for the audience your current relationship status? Single. Okay, yeah. So the question is, will this will this quiz be able to find out whether you're whether you uh, will they have to tell that you're single based off uh, each uh, each film? So uh, okay. I've, we've got 12, 12 rounds, and um, the first one up is oh, 15 rounds. My apologies. First one 15? is. Uh, 15 rounds, we'll, we'll breeze for it, we'll breeze for it. Oh, God. Okay, so first, who was your crush from The Avengers Infinity War? The okay. options are T'Challa, right. Steve, Thor, Natasha, which is a weird thing to call her, Thanos, Wanda, Tony Stark. And there is a none of these option, but I'm not letting you pick it. What's the other option? Is it none? 
None. You're not be able to pick none. You're not allowed to pick none. You have to pick Tony Stark, Wanda. On the quiz. It is, but you're not picking it. Okay, cool. There's... I'm gonna. I mean, it... I mean, no one's gonna pick Thanos, surely. I mean, that's just yeah. Just... That's just like a joke one, isn't it? Surely. Okay. Right. Um. It's Chris they, they all have merit, to be fair. I think. Yeah. At least from what I remember you saying. I'm gonna mm. go with. He's thinking, boys. Ladies and gentlemen. I'm gonna thinking. go. Wait, with Scarlet Witch was one, right? Yeah. I'm gonna go with Scarlet Witch. I think. Wow. Over. If you're well, if you are the women, I would have definitely gone for. Uh, I was thinking ScarJo, but then also, character-wise, Scarlet Witch is cooler, yeah. and also she's still alive, which is, also helps. That is true. Well, <laughs> it depends what you're into, obviously. The next one um, might be a bit hard because I know you haven't seen the film, um, and I don't remember mm. the names of these actors, so. This is a, a tougher one, really. But which character from Magic Mike stole your heart? The options are Tito, Dallas, I, Dallas. Wait, I'm, able, I'm able to pick Channing Tatum. Is that an option? You basically uh, Channing Tatum or Matthew McConaughey is your choice, essentially. Wait, who? Matthew McConaughey. Or who? Or Channing Tatum? Or Channing Tatum? Well, I mean, I'll go for Matthew McConaughey since I saw in a stellar this week. I'll go for him. Yeah, that's a a, a a real foreshadow for our next section. Next up, we've got uh the. I think like the I don't know how you describe chick flick Mean Girls. Sure. So you've got uh Katie, who's Lindsay Lohan, Karen, Mrs. Norbury, Regina, or Gretchen. I've forgotten the people from it, but um, yeah. Uh oh god. Um, wait, what were the options again? I'm looking on Google. Katie, here. Karen, Mrs. Norbury, okay, okay, Regina, go, or Gretchen. I'll go for. I'll go for uh, Karen, because that's Amanda Seyfried, I think. According to Google, anyway. I'll go for okay. that. Fair enough. Okay, this next one, hopefully. I, I, you, I think you've seen the Harry Potter films, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. So how? So in Harry Potter, you've got the option between Ron, Harry, Draco, Hermione, Snape, Neville, or Luna. Now, Snape would be the, the, the thinking man's choice, I believe. See, it depends what it wants me to go for here, though, because I could just pick, like... I could... I don't know. I think some of those guys are pretty attractive. Uh, yeah. Specifically Snape. Yeah, of course. The most attractive of all of them there. Uh, mm. I'm going to go with... I'm going to go for the edgy choice. I'm going to go for Luna, of course. When I was, like, a, a wee a wee child... I mean, I'm not much more than a wee child now, but when I was a wee child, first seeing Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince in, uh, in the cinema, oof. That young, that Luna last stole a young <laughs> Sam's heart. So moving on to the probably the, the biggest budget and, and most well known franchise within Marvel, uh, Ant Man. Your choices are it's a very strange. Why pick have they here picked Ant Man? Why have they picked? Ant-Man? I don't know. So your choices between Hank, so uh, to to big big uh, Michael Douglas, Ghost, sure. which is have we seen the Ant Man the Wasp? No. Oh, okay. Well, she's pretty fit, to be fair. But just, ghost, give, just, give, just give me characters. I'll just pick Wasp. Scott. Can I pick Wasp? Is that an option? Scott. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> if it's, guy. as long as it, as long as it's Wasp with a haircut, which isn't from Ant Man the first one, then that I'll pick Wasp. It's it's the one from the second one. So okay, I'll pick I'll pick I'll pick Wasp then. Uh, that haircut was they, awful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah, I have to agree on that. One. The second one is a bit more uh, stylized. Okay, next one to Star Trek Into Darkness. I'm the choice between either. so Captain Kirk, who is I forgot his name. You know, you know Captain Kirk. It's Patrick um, Stewart. 
No, it's Ian the, the new ones. Not Ian McKellen. No, the new ones. What's your... Not, oh, the new... Oh, the new... James McAvoy. No, it's not... He isn't... He isn't Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh Cat- my God, I'm thinking of X-Men. <laughs> You're thinking X-Men? Uh, Captain Kirk these days, he's... Um, Chris Pine. Chris Pine is the answer. Okay, cool. Chekhov. Uh, Khan. Khan is... Um, is Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, Uhura, which is um, Zoe Saldana. And Spock, who's is somebody Ooh, like Saldana. Zoe Saldana. I was, going, I was going for Benedict Cumberbatch, but I'll pick Zoe Saldana. All right. Next uh, up, Mission Impossible Fallout. Which I've not seen <laughs> so, as well. Okay, so you... Okay, so the option here is between um, Simon Pegg and Tom Cruise, basically. Because I don't know the women's names. This uh, is an absolute shit show. Okay, cool. Tom Cruise. I love how we're nine minutes like, into the podcast and we've like literally just foot, spent it doing a BuzzFeed quiz. Tall. Okay. Okay, so we're just over halfway. Okay. Celebrity Crush from arguably the greatest uh, film series of all time, The Hunger Games. Your options are Peter, Katniss, Effie, Finnick, or Gale. So that's... Um, I don't like any Josh of them. Josh Hutchison, Jennifer Lawrence. I don't like me. any of them. You don't, you don't like any of them? And um, also um, Chris Hemsworth's brother, Luke Hemsworth. What do you mean you okay, don't like I'll any of them? For, One of them Luke is Hemsworth. Jennifer Lawrence. I'll go for Luke okay. Hemsworth. You make me sick. I don't, I don't know. Okay. Jennifer Lawrence. No. Next up, we've got The Hobbit. So we've got Gandalf. Um, we've got Bilbo, Toriel, Legolas and Thorin. So, yeah. I mean, Legolas is the obvious choice, I think. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Next up, we've got for Justice League, which is, ties into uh, to the my next segment. Uh, so you've got your choice between... Is Gal Gadot on there? Yeah. Okay, I'll fit that. <laughs> Pick her. Really? Uh, I'm... Okay, I'm 11. We've got Suicide Squad, which is probably... A, is Margot Robbie on there? Yeah, Margot Robbie. Okay. <laughs> you're saying you're picking him over, her over Will Smith? Yeah. Also, did you hear um, about that thing? Just speaking of that, did you hear about that thing? Apparently, Will Smith and Margot Robbie had a thing, apparently. Did they? Well, apparently, because they're in focus, aren't they, that film? Yeah. And they're in Suicide Squad. And apparently there's an interview where they asked... It was like an interview on Ellen or something, or some kind of like quiz game talk show. And like one of the segments was like a question. And she said... Um, there was a question on the card, and then she couldn't tell the host what the question was, which had to give an answer. And the answer was Will Smith. And so everyone was saying like, oh, they maybe, they maybe had like a secret like romance or something, which is quite interesting. <laughs> This is now a gossip pod. Yeah. Yeah. Very, yeah. I, I mean, good on them, I guess. They're, they're both they're both up there. Anyway, okay, cool. moving on into the uh, the next. Um, I think one of your favourite films actually all the time, uh, High School Musical. Oh, so yeah, your choice is Ryan, Sharpay, Chad, Gabriella, or Troy. I can't remember who they are. To be honest, I've not watched it in so long. Troy is Zac Efron. Yeah. Sharpay is the woman that was in. Um, Who's the one that Troy goes out with? Who's that girl? Gabriella. Yeah, she's played by um, I forgot her name. Isn't it Vanessa Hudgens? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, I'll go for her. Cool. All right. Thirteen, obviously, uh, another one of your favourites, Twilight. So yeah. you, <laughs> you got a choice between. Um, is Rami is Rami Malek on there? Is he in Twilight? Yeah, yeah. I, I, oh yeah, he is. Yeah, no, he's not on that uh, list. Okay. Uh, so Robert Pattinson, um, what's the you know his his girlfriend in it, Bella? Oh, Bella Thorne. Yeah, played by yeah, and, and, um, what's your face? I've got her name. Yeah, and and Jacob, who's the guy from Chapboy and Lava Girl. Um, I'll go for Robert Pattinson. I see. Okay, I only got two more. 
Okay. Next, we got The Greatest Showman, which uh, have you seen? No, I've seen clips from it. I see. So you've got the choice between Philip, who's Zac Efron, Jenny, Charity, which is his bird in it. Is um, Hugh Jackman on there, obviously? I'm going to go for him. And is Zendaya. And oh, Zendaya's in that film. I forgot about that. Yeah, I'll go for her. I'll go for her. Okay. You know what this is going to be? This, this, this quiz is just going to come out and say, you have a simp, you get single. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Finally, you is Star Wars. 15 is Star Wars. You, the choice between Princess Wait. Leia, Obi-Wan okay. Kenobi, Han Solo, Chewbacca, and Luke Skywalker. This is at the time, so it's like a prime. Okay, so what are the um, options again? So Luke, Leia, Han Solo, and Chewbacca. And Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan from the original but films or from the... The original, so, uh, so yeah, not you and because that would obviously be too easy. Um, I will go with... Ooh. <laughs> He's thinking Chewy. No, 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 as a joke, I was thinking it, but I'm not going to. Uh, I'm going to go with... <laughs> this is actually the hardest one, you know. Really? Oh, one of the hardest ones. It's between... It's actually funny enough, it's between Luke and, uh, and Han Solo. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to go with... Don't judge, it's 2020. Well, it wasn't just to pick who you think is the most attractive, wasn't it? Yeah, Crash. (laughs) So hurry up, mate. Okay, let's go for Luke. Cool, I'll go for Luke. I'll go for Luke. Go for Luke. All right. You are... You're in a a new relationship, apparently. I mean, that's news to me. I wish. Well, maybe... You just start a new relationship, extremely happy with your partner. It took a while for you two to find one another. It's a romance that's cute enough for the movie screens, apparently. So maybe, maybe that's a... like foreshadowing. Yeah, maybe. In this in this in this lockdown age. It's the prologue. <laughs> wow, what a waste of fifteen minutes, eh? What an awful start. Should we just, just bin that off? I think we just bin that off. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what we've been watching. Let's go into that now. Let's forget we just did that. Um, we're going into what we've been watching. And uh, and I'll start off, and I've got a couple of films I want to talk about that I've watched in the last week. And guess guess what type of film? Guess I watched a, a certain type of film. Guess what it was? Wait, do I already know this or what? Like I every single week I talk about superhero films. I watched another superhero film. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I watched uh, Aquaman. I can't believe there's still ones I haven't seen. I watched Aquaman, uh, starring uh, Jason Momoa and uh, and mm-hmm. Amber Heard, who I'm guessing probably won't be in the second one. Hashtag cancelled. Um, but it was really quite disappointing. It was like really hyped up. Um, I know that it was like considered one of the better ones in the DCEU. Personally, uh, I thought um, the the new Harley Quinn film was a lot better. I thought that um, Wonder Woman was a lot better. Um, it was visually one of the best films I've seen in a while. You know, especially when it comes to superhero films. You know, mm-hmm. it, it 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 had this um, a really really um, these beautiful ocean scenes and like super high tech CGI uh, cities uh, you know Atlantis and such and I thought the editing was great uh, I thought it was calibrated very well I thought it had really nice t- on a technical level and that that saved it, it actually made it I think uh, saved a lot of it it was actually okay uh, where it would be an absolutely awful film otherwise so technically great you know five out of five in that respect but then when it comes to plot and character development it's closer to the one out of five really i felt like uh, i didn't know these characters you were thrown in the deep end you're constantly being forced <laughs> into, into 
exposition. It was like, it was like, uh, just, it was like, oh, now we have to defeat the, this, this beast of legend and then they do it. And it's like, now we have to go find this. And it's just like, you don't know the reasons why you had no reason to like these characters. I felt like I didn't know, like care about anyone other than, um, even like a vague Aquaman who was, you couldn't really tell if he was smart or not. Mm. You couldn't really tell if he was likable or not. I was just like, I just really sure. thought that there was really little character development and these, they just started snogging for no reason. I just really thought it was a letdown, really. I, I thought did it was you like the uh, Did you like the octopus and the crab? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, were, they, were, they were highlights for me. No, I mean, I, mean, I say that as if... The pit bull being played right over the top of the uh, the desert scene. Um, akin oh, I thought you were going to say. The old guard was, yeah, probably the, the highlight of the film for me. Well, I was going to say to you, to be fair, with a character like Aquaman... The Pitbull cover of Africa could easily have been one of the best parts of that film. And the fact that it was one of the worst parts of the film, I think, just shows that Aquaman wasn't as bad as it could have been. Like, for me... Well, at the end of the day, it's Aquaman, so, like, what exactly. are you going to do? For, for me, but the, it's... Just, it's like the 21st most successful film in history, or something. What? It's like, it's in, like, when box office, obviously, you know, all the new films are because of inflation yeah. or whatever. But like it's like it's in the top twenty-five most successful films ever. I'm pretty sure. At least it was. Well, I think that's probably just because, like, one of the things I wanted to say to you, Aquaman, because I know you'd seen it this week, was I kind of made some notes on Aquaman just for memory. Um, was because I think maybe that's down to the fact that Aquaman is such like this character who's just, like historically been just like thrown in a bin and been like, oh, Aquaman is so stupid. Like, what a throwaway talks character. To the fish. And like I feel like people kind of just kind of saw that they were making a big budget DCU, you know, film with like big stars and I think they kind of bought into it a little bit. For me, Aquaman is kind of like the Ant-Man of the DC films. Like, it's his gimmicky character which people don't really think very much of and like kind of look down on in a certain way. Um, But they kind of play up to the silliness of it all and have like a very comedic tone, very like over the top like sequences and stuff and like... I think they did a story justice there, like, in terms of, like, the character and stuff. Like, obviously, um, I think with Ant-Man, Ant-Man had it easier in some ways because it is so visual with, like, shrinking and growing and stuff that you can kind of, you know, play up to it and have really cool visual, like, VFX sequences. Whereas with Aquaman, it's like, you know, he's he, he just, like, he doesn't have that kind of gimmick in a way where, like, you can play up to it for visual spectacle. Um I think Ant-Man could have gone further with what it did, to be honest, than what it did. And in contrast, I think Aquaman actually had some pretty cool moments, like the uh, the lighthouse scene where like the camera like whips around, and then there's also like the rooftop scene. I thought they were like really, really good, like cinematography, as you said, like technically as a film. Yeah, there were some really good. good shots, and I thought that when they were going down to the um, they were fighting through the trench, I thought that was a particularly good shot. But I think I, th- I think it, it, bring out Aquaman is a is a one that works quite well. I think that the one of the strengths um, in the uh, marketing of the film and and, and reinventing the character um, with Aqu- with Aquaman was was casting Jason Momoa because the idea of like Aquaman is this like weak blonde nerd and like making him into like this kind of like sexy like you know what I mean yeah. like you know your mum's gonna want to go to the cinema watch it kind of you know like mm. proper action hero was a big decision akin to the, the decision to make Scott Lang the Ant-Man, Ant-Man rather than making sure. Hank yeah. Dimmitt because it's like if you would probably need another Tony Stark it just can be the same boring stuff yeah. um, but I thought yeah that was a good decision but I really was let down think- the film I, th- I also thought uh, I didn't realise Willem Dafoe was in, uh, in it and he comes along with oh, a ridiculous yeah. haircut I think, and, I think uh, he was good in that though I, I think he did a good yeah, job yeah I thought he was alright I think he suited the role quite well 
yeah. But yeah, well, I mean, like, like, yeah, like Ant-Man there, I think there isn't enough there, quite enough there to sort of take it into, like, the upper tiers of, the, like, the respective universes, but I think it was good fun and it wasn't disastrous. So, you know, in terms of, like, maintaining the universe, introducing new characters, I think it did a pretty, like, okay job. And... shoved in this bad guy, this Black Manta fella, and then he just kind of disappeared halfway through the film. Yeah, they kind of man. wasted him for a sequel. And I, mm-hmm. to be fair though, I kind of give them credit for Black Manta though. In, not in the story, I think the, the actual plot and just the back, like the origin of Black Manta was absolute garbage in that film. Um, but I they think gave they, him the whiplash treatment from Iron Man Two. He's like they shoved him in there as like the beginning of the film bad guy, and it kind of yeah. ruined the later bad guy and ruined. But him even just the like the way they introduced him, like with his father and stuff, was just like what happened and like it, his own motivation and stuff just felt so weird, like the father and stuff. But I don't know, like. I think with Black Manta, the one thing I do give him credit for is the fact they went so in with the sort of over-the-top comic book costume, kind of like mm. Mysterio with the MCU. Like, they went all in with that. Like, they played up to the silliness of it, I think, which worked quite well, like, in its favour. Like, they kind of went, okay, this is, you know, this is Aquaman, uh, a character that, you know, like I said before, has been traditionally, like, thrown away, like... um. But, you know, here we're going to, like, go all out with, like, costume and stuff and kind of play, like I said before, kind of play up to it in a way which kind of, I think, I think worked quite well for the tone they were going for. Yeah, I think um, you um, maybe enjoyed the a little bit more. I think it's maybe a little bit more down your alley than mine. So, for, so I'll, I'll go on, move on. But I would say, as I said, I think uh, plot-wise, I think it was a, a one, out, one out of five and... and um, and technically wise it was about five out of five so i think averages out about in the halfway point so yeah, yeah i wouldn't recommend it personally it wasn't my uh, my kind of thing and if you're gonna go comic book yeah i think um i think someone like uh, birds of prey did a lot better um and someone like kick ass or something um but moving on to uh, to the next one i watched uh, and the last one i'll talk about um for this specific section obviously we'll talk about radioactive in a bit because we both watched that as a film that came out recently um but talking about the other film i watched this week was um uh, Black Klansman or Black Cooker Klansman, um, uh, the one one of the more recent um, Spike Lee films. Spike Lee joints obviously released uh, one the other day, The Five Bloods, which is on Netflix, I think. But this is um, obviously critically acclaimed Black Klansman, um, starring uh, John David Washington and uh, and Adam Driver, and um, I don't know how to pronounce it like that, Adam Driver. But yeah, I thought it was. Um, I thought it was excellent. Um, it was uh, another one of those where it's been hyped up so much. It was always going to be competing against my own concept of what it was, but I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was generally really good. Um, I thought it was a great tale. I think uh, of of kind of good beating evil and I, I kind of like the whole infiltration thing. There's a couple of different uh, points. It's obviously a true story, so you know you can't exactly have a plot hole. But I was always a bit confused about the. the you know, it's not exactly much for a spoiler thing. Is it's kind of the premise of the film. The why that. Um, Adam Driver's character, who kind of plays the um, the in-person version of uh, Ron Stallworth, who's the person trying to infiltrate the KKK, the, the black guy who's trying to infiltrate the KKK, he talks over the phone, and a white person, uh, Jewish, ironically, kind of uh, has his role in, in public. I didn't really understand why they didn't just use... Um, Adam Driver, his character. I don't know why the, the real version of him didn't just do the phone calls as well. I'm, I don't know yeah, really why so- they had to do that. So I actually had this, when you mentioned you'd watched it, I had the exact same thought. I was like, hang on a minute. Like, I thought about it at the time, obviously, but not as much because you kind of can gross in the story and the film and stuff. But just thinking back on it, I had that exact thought. And I actually did look up this, uh, like, last week. Um, 
So apparently in real life, the true story, which as you say, is so ridiculous. This is actually a true story, but it is. But um, yeah. But so in real life, uh, the guy that Adam Driver plays wasn't actually Jewish in real life. Uh, that was added in to add some like tension or whatever. Um, but in, but in terms of what happened, so it was actually a um, so in the film. How is it in the okay? I know both ways of the story, but I can't remember what happens in the film. So in the film, does he originally call the guy, or does he leave like a message or something? Because what happens in the in real life, I think I think it's in real life was he sent a letter, and then he or like a postcard or something, and then he got a phone call, and then he answered it not knowing who it was, and that's why he was on the phone to him in the first place and had his voice. Um, yeah, so in in the film, he leaves him a message on the phone. Yeah. Yeah, so I think in real life they sent like a letter or something. Um, or after, I can't remember what it was, but yeah, so then he ended up getting a phone call back, not knowing who it was from. And then it turned out to be the, the guy that he'd sent a letter to or whatever. Um, and then I think, I don't actually know, like I think the whole thing of him being on the phone was kind of, yeah, it was. I think it was more just a case of like, he'd kind of known his voice and it would have been odd if it wasn't his voice, do you know what I mean? And then yeah, yeah. Adam Driver has to kind of just play up to match that um, in the in the physical sense, but yeah, yeah. I, I thought that he did an exceptional job at creating that really authentic um, vibe of the time. It really felt so very seventies, and um, it, it kind of didn't miss a beat in that respect. Uh, I thought that was one of the strongest parts of the film. I thought it was, it was a good story, and I think it had this kind of. And I, I know I think you said that you had a bit of a problem with the way that um, the. The, the white people are at times um, do the, the Ku Klux Klan members do like particularly comedy, comedic or stupid things. I won't give away anything, but uh, my answer is that I think it kind of shows a, a very kind of basic sense of like, you know, this is like they think they're like, you know, the perfect race or whatever, and then they're the ones that make the stupid decisions. So I didn't have a problem with it. I think a lot of the controversy surrounding the film um, comes from the the end, which you know, unrelated to the film. This isn't particularly a spoiler, but after the film ends, after the conclusion of the events, there's some um, some clips of uh, of the Charlottesville riots and um, the, uh, the the person that uh, ploughed into the, um, the the Black Lives Matter protesters in 2016. There's some clips of Trump uh, defending the, um, the the people, some of which who were obviously uh, neo Nazis and stuff, and saying that there were some good people in there. And and regardless of my thoughts on the politics, which I think is probably becoming more and more evident every podcast, um, I do think that maybe that was uh, slightly cheap in a way that they're kind of trying to uh, almost kind of uh, win brownie points. Um, but I did think that uh, I didn't have much of an issue as some people did. And I felt that whilst it kind of was a little bit of a cheap shot, I did also think that it did a good job of um, kind of showing the, in a very visual and out there uh, way, showing that the events of of, uh, of the of the, the Google Klan in 1972 are as applicable to today as they were at the time and how this yeah, is exactly. still an ongoing fight. So it kind of have, do have mixed opinions on it, but overall that just distracting from the point overall a very well uh, stylized and impactful movie that i think deserved all the uh, the accolades that it received and, and maybe even more and yeah it was uh, definitely the uh, the highlight of my week uh, film wise um other than perhaps the uh, the film we talk about later so uh, i'll move on to we're gonna also i also uh, watched i didn't watch all of it because well we'll talk about why i didn't watch all of it but I, I didn't watch all of it but um i watched part of uh, radioactive which came out uh, last month on amazon prime starring as rosamund pike as uh, Mary Curie and, and kind of about radio and stuff but so did uh, JL so uh, I'll let you do your bit and then we can talk a bit about uh, our thoughts on the film both of our thoughts on it 
Sure. So, um, I've got two sort of films to talk about here again, as you did. Um, first up, well, it wasn't really much of, much of a film. It was more of a uh, table read, so to speak. So, it was the Scott Pilgrim versus the World Water Crisis, uh, the charity cast reading. Uh, they got all together for the 10th, I think it's the 10th anniversary. God, that makes me feel old. Um, <laughs> I remember watching that school when it, watching that when I was in school. It's Oh my god. Anyway, uh, so I watched that. Um, I was 10 years had... old at the time. No, I was 9 yeah. years old at the time. So yeah, they had most of the cast um, there, which was which was great. Um, Chris Evans was there for, for some of it as well. Um, obviously, he had some other commitments because he had to dip out at one point, like for, for like after his character wasn't in the film anymore. Um, but yeah, so I think Brie Larson was the only other like standout absentee. But in terms of that, Edgar Wright was there, um, and most of the cast: so Michael Sarah, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, uh, Jason Schwartzman, Chris Evans was there, as I said, Alison Pill, um, everyone else. Like basically, Alan Wong. Um, yeah, um, but yeah, it was really fun though. Um, I don't actually know. I haven't actually done it myself yet. I was going to go around to doing it. I forgot to do it um, in terms of donations for like what they were collecting money for because um, it was released free on YouTube. And obviously it's not a film, but I just thought it would be nice to, to give back to a film that I really like. Um, and obviously for, for a very good cause as well. And it was just nice to see all the actors get together after 10 years and just sort of have fun. And it's just it's just great to watch that film because it's so like rewatchable and I just love that film so much. It means a lot to me. It's like one of my favorite films ever. Um, so it was just nice to sort of see the cast because obviously a lot of those cast members were sort of breaking out into their acting careers at that point when they did that film. Um, obviously, like Anna Kendrick was in it as well. She went on to to do a lot of things and um, Chris Evans, of course, uh, probably the the biggest star in there, one of the most humble people as well. So. It was just nice to see them all get together and, and have fun reading through the script and, and Edgar Wright, one of my favourite directors, of course. It was nice to sort of have him uh, having a bit of a laugh with, with the cast members as well, so it was good fun. And yeah, so it was just nice to, to nice to see that. And then um, the, other, the other film that I watched this week, as we mentioned last week on the on the podcast, I went to see the cinema for the first time in months. Um, Let's go. I don't think I've been to the cinema in 2020. I couldn't... Oh, no, I must have done. Really? No, no, I have done. I have done because I saw... A lot of the 2019 American releases, early 2020, yeah, I think. Yeah. So I think I saw like Knives Out and were they 2020? Knives Out and Jojo Rabbit and Pirate Sight and so, not uh, jo- not Jojo jo- Rabbit. No, no, not Jojo uh, Rabbit. Um, what I'm talking about. I didn't see that in cinema. Um, yeah, I, well, Parasite was 2020 release. I don't think Knives Out was though. Yeah, I'm trying to Little think. Little Women was. 1917 as well. Um, so I've seen those in 2020, yeah. but. Okay, I've not seen the cinema in months, and so I went to watch Interstellar in IMAX, and honestly, I'd seen people like telling me to watch it like for ages, and I'd seen people um, like basically saying, cause I I mentioned I mentioned a few weeks ago that I was going to go to the cinema to the cinema and watch it, and I said I'm not sure how to risk it, like obviously coronavirus is still like a big thing, and I wasn't sure whether it's worth kind of risking going out, but since cinemas have been a bit more open and sort of people are a bit more outside and stuff sort of gradually getting back to reopening and stuff i thought okay i'll go for it um honestly i'm so glad i waited to see it i've avoided spoilers for six years um <laughs> chris Nolan, one of my favorite directors so going to see that in imax was absolutely incredible like i don't think i've ever been to an imax screening before i don't think and really? so 
Yeah, I don't think I have. I can't remember specifically going to see anything in IMAX, and so I remember seeing I saw Gravity in IMAX. That was pretty good. I've not seen a Gravity, but so Interstellar, though, honestly, like I've I'm, I've got I've got some notes here that I'm gonna actually read out. Was it was it in, was it always, IMAX 3D or IMAX 2D? It was 2D. I don't like 3D anyway, so I'm kind of happy that was the case. You don't like 3D? Ugh, I hate 3D. It's such a gimmick, and like. Come on, man. Someone rise of Skywalker in 3D or 4DX, can... you know, the the seat moves back and forth. There was like water when it was raining, it was shaking, it was no. moving back and forth. That was so poggers. I might go see it instead of next week, actually, because it is on IMAX 2D where I am going to London. No, 3D, I don't know. I, just, I, I think it's because of my eyesight as well, though. Um, I've got a laser oh, yeah, eye, you wear glasses, so you? I don't think I can really tell the difference when I'm doing it. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, Interstellar, just... Just to give some thoughts. I'm not going to give any spoilers because I know it's fairly recent and I wouldn't want to spoil it because I know... I haven't seen it. People, you, you haven't seen it and people listening might not have seen it like me and want to wait to see it in cinemas when it comes out on a re-release or, you know, I don't want to give any spoilers because I know it's... Even though it's six years old, I know that it's a film that a lot of people want to experience fresh, which is the best way to do it. I really recommend going in fresh, so I'm going to avoid spoilers. Um, mm-hmm. But Interstellar presents a very, very real problem for me. Um, like very real problem because it made me question my all-time favorite film. Like, whoa, that is a really, really big yep. statement from so, Young JL. Well, the thing is, right, is that it. I don't necessarily mean that I think Instel is my favorite film. Not necessarily. It could be, but not necessarily. What 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 I mean is is I can't decide now whether I prefer Inception, which is my favorite film currently and Interstellar. So maybe Inception is actually too high in my rankings. Um, and in terms of Interstellar and Inception, uh, I drew some comparisons when I came out. Obviously, same director, duh. Um, mm-hmm. But I drew some comparisons in terms of were the bits that I would change in terms of like narrative, structure, technical stuff, sure. Did certain things happen that I didn't like? Of course. Were there bits that I didn't fully understand? Probably. But that's the same as Inception. And with Christopher Nolan in particular, I think I admire the ambitions of... The ambition, the scale, story, technique, just the idea itself of the film. I think often um, it's kind of so hard to determine, you know, if someone asks you what your favourite film is, um, different people use different criteria... Some people would say it's the film I've watched the most. Dark or some Phoenix. Pe- <laughs> Dark Phoenix. But no, but, but no, but seriously, like some people, you know, would say, "Oh, it's the film you've watched the most," or some people say, "Oh, it's uh, the film that I think is the most impactful," or some would say, "You know, uh, mm. it's the film that uh, I wouldn't change anything about." And it's so hard to determine what your favorite film is. And obviously, if you judge, like if you if you judge what your favorite film is based on other people's criteria, then very much likely that your favorite film will change. If someone said to me, mm-hmm. "What's your f- what, what's the film you enjoy the most watching in terms of like just entertainment value?" I'd probably say Scott Pilgrim versus the World. If someone said, "What's the most impactful film you've watched?" I'd probably say Parasite. So it's like, okay, like what are you judging it on? But in terms of like Interstellar, though, it's just such an experience. Like. It's kind of hard to explain and how to describe about you watching it. But um, 
obviously so I, I might because I'm going down to somewhere that has an IMAX 2D I'm going away to London next week which is why we're going to be doing a bonus episode instead of a normal episode which I'll talk about later so I might actually end up watching um, Interstellar in, in, um, in IMAX possibly if things yeah. go right and I manage to have the free time I would honestly really recommend it because it's it's just such an experience like the soundtrack of that film I thought Inception soundtrack was amazing obviously Hans Zimmer does both of them um and I thought, oh, Inception, like, that's just the best soundtrack I've ever heard in a film. Like, there's, there's nothing to compare to that. Then I listened to the Interstellar soundtrack, and I just can't get it out of my head. Like, some of those parts in that film, and, like, I'm not going to give any spoilers, but um, there's one piece of music which is used a couple of times, and this isn't... I'm, I'm going to avoid, like, plot details, but I'm going to talk about general structure. So, there's... In fact, I'm not going to say too much, but basically there's... Hans Zimmer does this really, really clever thing with music in this film. Obviously, he does it in a lot of films, but this film in particular, the concept of, like, time and stuff is very relevant, and, like, the way that he... Almost like Dunkirk... In Dunkirk as well, is kind of similar comparison to that film. In Dunkirk, you've got, like, the ticking... The ticking clock in the background. In this film, there's, like, a really subtle, like, subconscious, like thing to do with like the beats per minute of the film of the song that I like like I've seen a couple of like YouTube video like essays about uh, once mm-hmm. you've watched the film just like watch those um, watch those videos and stuff because like it's actually incredible what even just what the score can can do for a film and there's yeah, just yeah. there's two moments there's, there's two scenes in that film that everyone who's seen the film will know what I'm talking about they involve that piece of music that are very much high tension, high t- like intensity pressure situations and honestly just one of the, the the second of those scenes that happens in the film it is just the best probably the best thing I've seen like seen I've seen in the cinema because like it's just so so well done and I just I don't want to say I can't really say too much because obviously I don't want to give anything away but yeah. there's I'm just I can't stop thinking about the film and I mean that's just the highest credit, really. Um, the um, it's it's quite um, it's you know I've I did um, obviously the three episodes of this podcast uh, last year, and I've done what is this our sixth episode now or seventh episode or whatever it is, and six, um, yeah. yeah. So it's funny that in that time, um, I feel like uh, both with uh, calling by your name from the first film, or first series, and a few films that um, that I've watched in the period of. Um, of, of start recording this we've been recording this for you know a bit over a month and during that period like a lot of the films we've watched or, or the films i've watched on my own that time have really changed my perception of, of cinema and what i like yeah. and, and my favorites and stuff and you talk about interstellar i could easily you know i i think that despite my criticism of it i keep thinking about blade runner i honestly could be up there in my top four now and i loved whiplash yeah. last week and, and we'll talk about films later but yeah, so, you know, making a statement like Interstellar is making me question my favourite film. It's obviously a big one, and you can't really get much praise higher than that, especially for someone that's as into films as yourself. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I think I've- I think as well, just in terms of, like, this film was, like, it... And, and it sounds stupid to say it, because obviously I'm doing a weekly film podcast, I like films, but this film made me realise how much I love films. And it made me sort of just realise, like, how important and, like, how just amazing, like, really really good films are and you know how i've been saying for the past few episodes oh i think i'm judging this film based on like prestige rather than yeah. merit and oh mm-hmm. people have played it's such a good film and stuff and that's why i'm 
maybe thinking it's better than it is. I honestly think it might be a cinema thing. And I mentioned this in one of the episodes when we were talking about coronavirus and cinemas reopening and stuff, but I honestly think that if I'd seen some of these films in the cinema, like I saw Shawshank, as I mentioned, in the cinema, and I really, really liked it. I think if I'd, if I'd have seen Blade Runner or The Shining or Goodfellas in the cinema, I think I would have for sure at least sort of perceived it to be a bit, a bit above what I, what I thought. I think it might See, be a cinema we, thing. We, we're getting to the 40 minutes mark. We haven't even talked about Radioactive or, or the news, but <laughs> just before we do, you can shove this in because I, I was wondering, you're saying that, and, and that's a sentence that's been said so much. There's so many films I think, oh, imagine seeing the cinema, and I'm so happy that I got to see films like Parasite in the cinema. Yeah. Um, but my question is, is there any films that, that you can think of that's like, oh, I'm, I, I think I'm better out of the cinema? Because everyone always says, oh, that's better than yeah, cinema. But isn't everything better than cinema? I'm not sure. Well, Mate, I, th- I, I, I think with this, I think with this, like like I've said though, it's because a lot of people, like when I posted on Twitter that I was seeing this in IMAX, I post on Twitter, um, now hashtag NW, so now watching Interstellar brackets IMAX first viewing, right? Like yeah. first viewing and then it was IMAX. So people knew it was the first time I was ever watching it and I was watching it in IMAX. Then I put my phone on Do Not Disturb, turned it upside down, you know, the film was starting, whatever. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, I just left it and then I came out of the cinema and the amount of people who replied to me saying, you're so lucky, like, I wish I got to experience it for the first time again or... And it's honestly one of those films where I feel like it... Because obviously no one shoots on IMAX and, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just... It's, it's one of those, like, experience things where it's as much of an experience as it is, like, like a really good piece of cinema. I think there are films that are better if... Well, not maybe not better, but, like, for sure you can sort of get the same appreciation and evaluation of that aren't in the cinema. I feel like even like Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, as much as I love it, I won't necessarily say you have to see it in a cinema to really enjoy it. If you if you, mm-hmm. if you like the humour and... Um, I, mean, I say that, but then again, it's so stylized and Edgar Wright is obviously famed on on the way he approaches sort of style and... Like well, for time joy. reasons, I'm going to have to push us on here. And um, and and talking of uh, of not being able to watch the cinema, we're going to talking about a on-demand release um, that um, radioactive um, and um, and it, it's uh, it's a story of um, of Mary Curie and um, her in, uh, discovering radium and her love with with her partner. And um, I've uh, I've forgotten the name of the actress. It's just left my head. Bosman Pike. Yeah, it was my Pike, um, who I most recently saw in, in uh, 2019's The Informant, which I thought was quite underrated and uh, actually quite a good film. But um, she's great in Gone Girl as well. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's uh, definitely what she's she's known best for. But uh, I uh, we both watched this film, um, but that can't completely be said because I was watching this before the podcast died, and I uh, you know you can't really judge something off when you haven't watched all of it. But I got halfway through and I just couldn't. If this gives you any indication, I just couldn't be asked anymore. It was just, you know, I can happily, I'm not like uh, some meathead, you know, I can happily sit through anything. And, you know, the film I want to talk about later um, is, is set in one room for, for an hour and a half and is in black and white. But I just could, it was just one of the most boring films I think I've ever had to sit through um, in in Radioactive. I, I was, it, it didn't, pre- it presented uh, an unlikable character um, it, that I felt in uh, in Marie Curie, who um, is kind of like, you, you know, it, it's a true story, so you, you can't change things, obviously, dramatically, you can embellish things, but you can't change things. And if she wasn't a particularly great, 
lass and, and she was maybe a little bit straightforward and, and came across as rude at times you know you can't change that but I felt like other films that are dealing with uh, maybe characters a little bit like that um like uh you know the imitation game with, with Alan Turing who was obviously kind of um I think it was you know kind of more due to the fact that he was on the spectrum or whatever but he was kind of you know famously kind of straightforward thinking and, and didn't particularly care for pleasantries that film kind of ribbed off it in a way that the other characters uh kindness and stuff was reflected back and there was times where it was used for a comedic value because you don't know exactly what the sentences were said in those places so you can't really like everything can't be exactly right but I just felt that um, in in this film, they she was an asshole, and everybody just just lapped it up and was just fine with it, and was like, all right, then, and, and just like there was nothing, there was no repercussions, no one disliked her for it. She was just a, a dickhead all the time, and I really didn't like the character at all. I didn't care what happened to her because I was just like, just this isn't a likable character, and no one cares, and it's just and it, she wasn't an antihero. She was the protagonist, but she also was a dickhead, and it just I don't know, and it kind of had this kind of stylized way of showing the implications of radium, like showing like bombings and stuff. I'm obviously not to spoil it, but and showing the products created and stuff, and it had this like super stylized, like, like detailed CGI of like the atoms and uh, and and like future predictions of what happened. But it really, really um, took me out of the realism. It really jarring, completely um, didn't work with the rest of the film. And you see, I, yeah. I just I can't fully judge it because I only saw half the film. But what I saw, I was really, yeah. really not a fan of, and I've been I... looking towards like a two out of ten, two out of five, sorry, two out of ten or what? That was a big, two out five, was a big oof. Yeah. No, I, I, I think I like this film more than more than most people. I wouldn't necessarily say it's anything groundbreaking. I would think it's very middle of the road. Um, I think I gave it a three on Letterbox out of five. Probably sort of just about getting to a three, maybe a two and a half. Uh, it was sort of between those two scores really. I think I landed on a three just because, um, it did try things and it did. I think the, the issue with this film was very much in the script, and the script is very, very bad. Um, and the director um, did a very good job of... Um, so, the director is... I, I want to butcher this name, I'm sorry, but it's Marjan Satrapi, um, who also directed Persopolis, which is an animated film, I believe, and they've heard very good things about that. Um, and she's, from what I've read, she's very... Um, the director's very known for very sort of quirky sort of directorial style, very sort of unique in a way. And um, I, I need to go into watching some other films, to be honest. But I think the, as you say, the, I think the, the issues lie primarily in screenplay. Um, I think some of the surreal, I quite like some of the surreal vibes that were given off throughout. Um, as you mentioned, there's these flash forwards, which don't necessarily work very well um, but I think some of the more surreal aspects could have been played up to a lot more uh, from what I've heard there's a film coming out soon called Tesla um, which very much plays up to the surreal sort of aspects and sort of presents it in a very surreal way which um, from what I've heard has been very well received I think this film could have done something similar played up to it and and sort of gone full on with that sort of approach because it is kind of caught in the middle ground of trying to present a realistic depiction, like a biopic um, p- style of, of filmmaking, and at the same time, doesn't have a consistent theme or style throughout, as you said. Um, and also, uh, you mentioned the imitation game. I was not, I mean, it's not necessarily the same sort of, fi- of film, but I think um, if you compare it to something like The Social Network, which obviously uh, is very much more subjective, um, perhaps, than this, but I think. 
it was done in a very very good way and this, the screenplay was obviously very much better than this film but in terms of like editing cinematography and stuff this film did have some really good cinematography moments and for the production design and costumes and so on was was quite good um yeah it definitely couldn't fault the um the, the costume design stuff and, and creating that eight, late 18th century paris yeah but i think in terms of the way it was put together i think i think the end of, i think this was a film which was ultimately kind of less than the sum of its parts in a way it, it was mm-hmm. kind of the sum of its its individual components were, were quite good at times in terms of cinematography and editing and um that was Rosamund pike ultimately kind of holds this together i think she's very very good and i really want um a lot of a lot of more bigger films to be to be casting her because uh she managed to get a new casting agent to be honest because um she has gone very very sort of under the radar at times even though as you said before with gone girl which for me is one of the best performances in a film um and yeah, I just think that she could be doing a lot better. I think she does a very good job of what she's given there. And as as I said, it's very much less than some of its parts in the sense that other than the screenplay, I don't think there's particularly any element which is, you know, bad. But um, obviously a screenplay is the backbone of a film. And if the screenplay isn't very good, then no, no matter what director or actor you get into the into the role, um, you're going to have a bit, of a, a bit of a mishmash of a film. I think if you're interested in learning more about Marie Curie, and learning about her background, obviously, there's a lot of focus on uh, throughout the film on her uh, immigrant status and her role as a woman in science and so on. If you're interested in learning more about it, um, about, about that side of things, then maybe give this a go. But um, I won't necessarily be running to watch it um, either. But yeah, if you want to see Rosamund Pike give a good performance in an otherwise sort of generic, although potentially getting to the surreal biopic then uh and give it a go it's on amazon prime uh but otherwise uh you know this this there's other films out there which are worth more of your time yeah and i i you know who am i to to criticize professionals but i would also say that i was particularly disappointed by sam riley's performance throughout i thought he came across quite uh wooden at times um which i expected more to be honest but that's just see me. yeah that's something i've also heard i don't think it was that bad i think it was it was kind of what it needed to be. As again, it wasn't anything special, but it wasn't. I don't think it was particularly bad. Um, I think the the young children were, were pretty good, and also there were some very sort of wasted actors in there. Anya Taylor Joy shows up for like twenty minutes at the end of the film. Um, yeah, Catherine Parkinson's from the IT crowd. She, she pops up for a bit. Yeah, but they're just kind of Anya Taylor Joy. Oi, oi let's talk of this because we have to get through te- uh, this load of news in te- about ten minutes. So we've got to speed run this. So okay. <laughs> yep. No, that's fine. Okay. That's fine. Okay. Have you got a rating for um, radioactive? I went with a three out of five overall. Okay, so a little bit more kinder than me. Okay, I've got a, got a speed through this. We've got a lot of news, and we're running behind because I decided to do a Buzzfeed quiz. So, starting off, uh, I've got to do the the mandatory thing I do every week with uh, delays and such with uh, this this damn virus is still about. So um, Disney has once again um, delayed. Uh, Milan, which they've done a million times, but this time they've not set a, a date. It's just uh, kind of been been uh, removed uh, permanently from the slide uh, indefinitely. They've delayed it, uh, so we we don't know where that's going to be. Obviously, waiting for for a better time rather than keep pushing it back like uh, things like Tenet that keeps getting delayed. Talking of which, Tenet um, has uh, after some speculation last week, Tenet will open internationally. Uh, and is going to get a release uh, in America afterwards, twenty uh, sixth of August in the UK. So so there's that. Uh, the 
Disney have announced that uh, Avatar and Star Wars films are going to be moved back a year each. I don't know if we talked about it last week, but um, so that um, means that Avatar 5 is going to be coming out in 2028. Um, well, you know, when I'm uh, when I'm 27 years old. And The Quiet Place 2 and Top Gun 2 have both been moved to 2021, uh, a year ahead of their original, uh, a, year, uh, a year later than their original date. And from that, the continuous discussion of the last uh, Fox film, the last installment in the X-Men franchise, The New Mutants, has only got a runtime of 98 minutes, which is particularly short for a modern superhero film, which seems to be getting longer and longer. Um, and uh, they've released the first, was it five minutes? Three or four, I think. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. On, uh, on on Twitter, following uh, the online Comic-Con. And I've got to say, as someone that was looking forward to it, is that I'm a bigger Fox fan than most. Didn't look too good, so we'll have to see what goes on there. But yeah, that's all the uh, the, the delays that uh, I felt were worth uh, talking about. Yeah. Uh, okay, moving on. Um, Amazon has picked up uh, Regina King's directorial feature debut. Uh, it's called One Night in Miami, and it's about a young Cassius Clay. Uh, so it was. It made this year's Toronto Film Festival premiere list, and Amazon have picked it up uh, to distribute uh, later this year, uh, just in time for the awards season. Uh, so it features. If there is one. Well, yeah, if there is one. I mean, there probably will be one. This is something I also talked about. Bad Boys for Life, the best picture. <laughs> well, something else that I heard about though was like, if they're going to do an awards season, um, would, for example, would Radioactive be considered for any category? Um, now, in a usual year, probably not, but maybe Roseman Pike could be nominated uh, if there is a, if there is one. I don't know. We'll see. Um, they could get, I could see like costume design. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, something like that. Even cinematography. If there's like literally nothing else comes out this year, mm-hmm. they could. Oh, yeah, apart from Tenet, obviously, they could. Charlie's the wrong could. best actress. The old girl. <laughs> anyway, I mean, carry on. I won't be surprised. Anyway, um, this film. So it fe- so the film, um, as I said before, is One Night in Miami. Uh, it features Eli Gorey as playing Cassius Clay, Kingsley Benadir plays activist Malcolm X, uh, Aldis Hodge plays American football star Jim Brown, and Leslie Odom Jr. plays singer Sam Cooke. Uh, it's based on a um, Kemp Powers 2013 stage play, uh, which he's adapted for the screen, and it follows Cassius Clay as he emerges from the Miami Beach Convention Center to become the new world heavyweight boxing champion on February 25th, 1964. Um, so it's basically looking at his defeat uh, going on to become the world heavyweight champ- boxing champion and um, there's going to be a focus on the segregation laws at the time which meant that he wasn't able to celebrate with much of the city um, and instead spent uh, time with his friends including Malcolm X um, to celebrate and yeah it's basically going to be looking at sort of their interactions I guess uh, looking at their role in things like the civil rights movement and such um, but will be interesting because Regina King, a great actress and been nominated and won many awards and this is her directorial debut so Amazon have scooped it up so hopefully, fingers crossed, it's better than Radioactive which Amazon also picked up. <laughs> yes, and uh, Jordan Luke did not call him Muhammad Ali at any point during that due to uh, Jordan Luke's uh, in rampant Islamophobia. So moving oh, on. I, uh, I apologise, I apologise. I completely <laughs> missed that line. Yeah, obviously Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali, um, that's, yeah, that's the, yeah, that Cassius Clay because you hate Muslims anyway no Robert Rodriguez has uh, announced a new Netflix superhero movie called We Can Be Heroes which uh, you know who cares I would not be mentioning it if it didn't have some very important news which is that it's going to feature Shark Boy and Lava Girl 
from the 2005 3D film who are now coming back as adults with a superpowered daughter who I'm spo- I believe is supposed to have a mixture of their powers. Oh my God, <laughs> this is the best news ever. I just one of the... F- oh man, I was so excited as a kid when I got that and I had the 3D glass in the box and it was... Oh, and I watched that film over and over and the first time I watched it, the DVD player didn't work. And we had to watch the 2D version and I remember going and shouting at the TV, I think these glasses work, are 2D glasses because I, <laughs> I, I could see it and I didn't... You had a 3D player things. when you were like that age? Wait, how, when did it come out? 2005? DVDs play 3D. It's just red and blue. It's just red and, um, it's red and blue. Oh, the old like style red and blue yeah. like thing with the glasses. Okay, Love I Love this. I used to watch it over and over and there's like the land of cookies and milk. Shit, that was so People cool. keep sharing this clip on Twitter from it, from this film now and it's the one, I can't remember what the song is, it's where he starts singing something to, to the girl. <laughs> you know what I'm talking that, about? That's the, that's the I don't know, but that's the um that is the main character from uh, that the main character is the same bloke who was uh, you declined to be your crush in Twilight earlier. No, it's like a, it's like a clip in that film where the shot I think it's from Shot Boy and Lava Girl I believe I don't know if it is but I think it is because people post on Twitter in reaction to this I'm pretty sure, and it was like a clip where he starts singing some song like Dream Dream or something. <laughs> I can't remember. And I can't remember. Like, I don't know a lot, but I was. Yeah, before. I don't know if that's the right film, but so. if it is, that was um. Yeah, uh, got four minutes. Quickly, get on. Cool. Next, next bit of news in related kids news. Sonic the Hedgehog two has been confirmed to be coming out on April eighth, twenty twenty two. Uh, maybe not. Maybe it will get delayed. Uh, twenty twenty eight or something like Avatar. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But they've, I've, they've done a safe thing and announced it for a two year. Um, uh, two years ahead. So yeah, Paramount's confirmed that Sonic Hedgehog two. Is coming out as expected. Uh, so excited! That could win Best Picture. Maybe that could get like VFX nominated. It really could. Maybe for this year. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if nothing else comes out other than Tenet and like a couple of our films. What else has come out this year that has good VFX? Um, uh, <laughs> I don't know. The old God, that VFX? No, it didn't, did it? Like nothing like major. Yeah, I'm not sure. But anyway, yeah. Um, Okay, I'm going to run through this really quickly um, and try and condense it down as quickly as possible. There is a bit of TV news. I'm going to skip one of the pieces of news. I'll just briefly mention it, actually, just so you can look it up if you need to. And that's that uh, Charlie Brooker, the creator of Black Mirror, uh, his company, uh, Broken Bones, has been entered a contract with Netflix. Uh, so Netflix are going to be basically um, having a contract with that company, producing some stuff, and then um, at the end of the contract, they'll have the option to buy up the company. And just one particular thing of note is that Russell McLean, uh, VFX producer of many Black Mirror episodes slash films, it says, a, it says films, but it, I mean, I mean, technically it could be a film. Um, and he's also the producer of Bandersnatch, which was the interactive uh, episode of Black Mirror. I love that shit. Yeah, I loved it as well. Uh, some people didn't like it as much, but I really liked it. Um, and I'm defrosting some mints. Say again, sorry? I'm defrosting some mints. Oh, Okay. Um, yeah, so okay, it's, it's from Bandersnatch. You just clearly don't remember it. No, I don't. That's why I said okay. okay. Um, yeah, so he's joined as producer, and he's gonna have a focus on developing interactive projects. So that's quite interesting. Obviously, Bandersnatch was the first sort of big interactive thing on Netflix, at least that I remember, um, and mm-hmm. sort of had a lot of hype around it. I wonder where it'll well go with it now, because obviously we talked a couple of weeks ago about potentially having VR stuff um in film maybe they'll go down that route probably not though but it'll be interesting to see what they do um another mm-hmm. tv news just really quickly skim through 
Um, Judge Dredd, obviously I mentioned this uh, episode or two ago, uh, the film, uh, it's been confirmed that there's a script written for a Judge Dredd TV show, uh, the CEO of comic um, publisher Rebellion, uh, which is Jason Kingsley, he's come out and said that they've got scripts, they've just not been able to be produced because of the coronavirus, coronavirus pandemic, um, and yeah, he's basically hinted that he would like to get Carl Urban and potentially, as a, and this might be a joke, but hopefully not, Sylvester Stallone um, back in some capacity for the project. And final news is The Walking Dead, which I watch. Sam hasn't watched all of or seen bits of. Mm, um, I wish first couple series. Yeah, so San Diego Comic-Con, which was at home this year, Comic-Con at home, uh, they confirmed there that the season 10 finale, which has been postponed until now, um, has got a release date of October the 4th, 2020. Uh, that's the US. And then the UK, as usual, will have the following... Uh, day, which is the Monday, uh, the October 5th will be the release date there, as usual. Um, and also, the there's also going to be six bonus episodes uh, for season 10, which are going to come out in early 2021. Um, it's not been confirmed whether these are going to be flashbacks or deleted scenes, or it's going to be new material or existing material. Um, but what we do know is we're getting six bonus episodes, which are going to be after the finale, which are still dubbing uh, the finale. And also, uh, we've got confirmation that Fear the Walking Dead, which is the spin-off, the existing spin-off series, uh, season six, um, is going to be released the following week on October the 11th in the US. And the new spin-off series, which is a two-season limited event uh, called Walking Dead World Beyond, which focuses on young children and adults and young adults as they grow up in the zombie apocalypse. Uh, that's going to premiere straight after the uh, original season 10 finale, which is on October 11th, as I said, um, which was the original plan. They were going to show the pilot, like Mm -hmm. the first episode, following the finale, and that's what they're going to do. So, yeah, October 4th for the start of the new series, which looks quite good. I'm quite excited for that. Yeah, see, I you know I stopped watching it a while ago, and I've only read the first couple of, um, graphic novels. But I'm quite looking forward to the, se- the spin-off because I think it'll be a good place for me to jump back on and, and see if I can get back into the world. Because I, I love the games as well, so you know it's just great universe. That I just haven't been paying enough, and, and now it's ten series in or nine series in. It seems like a bit of a, uh, an uphill battle, but a nice little spin-off uh, that's uh, disconnected might be uh, a good way for me to get back into it. So I'm looking forward to that. So yeah, I think that's about all for the the uh, the news uh, this week, which is um, quite a lot, and uh, we managed to do it Certainly. pretty quickly. And just so, a, just a quick thing as well on the note of TV episodes, I'm not going to talk. I'm going to wait for like thirty seconds. Um, mm-hmm. But last week you sent me the challenge of watching some of Afterlife, the Ricky Gervais Netflix show. I've rewatched the first two episodes I'd already seen from season one and finished season one. I'm going to watch season two in the coming week for next week after the bonus episode of the next episode. Um, mm-hmm. Too sure which episode it'll be discussed in. Um, but in terms of that, I thought it was really funny. Um, also really sad at certain points of course and yeah I just wanted to say you talked about Aquaman earlier this was the best <laughs> superhero origin story <laughs> yeah yeah um, definitely but no yeah I think it was really good and if you if you like Ricky Gervais or even if you don't I'm not particularly as I said last week I've not seen The Office but um, and I've not really seen anything of him I don't think I've seen Ghost Town the film uh, which came out a few years ago, well, years ago now, when I was a kid, probably. Um, 
but I'm not necessarily a big Ricky Gervais fan, but uh, if you, you know, even if you're not, I thought it was really good and I'd definitely recommend giving it a go if you've not already seen it. Lovely stuff, yeah, big fan of myself. And uh, I've got to confess that I uh, am a lazy idiot that did not manage to get around to watching uh, Mr. Robot. However, um, as reasons that we mentioned at the end of the podcast, um, I, uh, I'm i going to be away next week. I, I'm going to be in London, um, back back home. Uh, so I'm not going to go to record. Um, and because of that, uh, I'm probably going to go and binge as much of Mr. Robot as possible. So uh, next time we talk, um, it should be, uh, I should have had, uh, I hopefully have a, a sizable chunk of, uh, of Remy Malik uh, field entertainment down me. He hasn't got, he just, he hasn't got any problem. He actually just speaks like an idiot, doesn't he? So I can make fun of that. It's not like he's got a speech impediment or anything. He just speaks like a retard. I don't, I don't know. Okay. But well, in terms, oh no, that was another thing as well I wanted to mention just really quickly. I know we're running over, but mm-hmm. The Emmy Awards, the nominations got released this week. Mr. Robot got zero nominations for, for its final season. I shouldn't bother watching it, basically. Well, absolute garbage. I'm sorry. The Mandalorian got 15 nominations. Like, there was... um, Oh, what's the other one? There was something else that got, like, 20-odd nominations. Mr. Robot can't even get one when it was, like, honestly, some of the best television I've ever watched. And just... Absolute disgrace. Viola Davis got absolutely robbed as well. She should have been nominated. And, yeah. I mean, Mr. Robot did get one nomination, but it wasn't, like, one of the uh, prominent ones. It was, like, some interactive, like, outside of the TV show, like, interactive thing. Like, it was, like, a... Sometimes it was, like, an interactive game or something. It was, like, absolute rubbish. But, yeah, watch it. (laughs) Watch it. Okay. So that about wraps it up for... Uh, for everything uh, up until the, uh, the the main subject of the episode, which is the reviews, of course. Uh, this is a, a film review podcast. And uh, today we're looking at two uh, very old, old-timey films, uh, far before, um, obviously, we were born before uh, my parents were born. I'm assuming it's up before your parents were born. Uh, the um, We watched the so 12 Angry Men first, because doing it in chronological order, and then we'll look at Psycho. So first off, um, just want you to... Give me a little uh, synopsis of what 12 Angry Men is and ma- namely why you gave me this. 12 Angry Men is about 12 Angry Men. Yeah, that's true. Okay, um, podcast over. That's, I mean, I mean, I don't want to, uh, okay. Uh, obviously, 12 Angry Men, it's about a jury during a trial um, and there is a, a case going on, obviously, and they basically... They're all sort of deciding whether they find the the defendant innocent or guilty, and what's at first seems to be a cut and dry thing, uh, slowly slowly unravels because of one uh, one of the jurors sort of disagrees with the verdict that the that the majority are going for, mm-hmm. and yeah, the film starts slowly unravels with with characters questioning their prejudices and their um the sort of beliefs about the case and so on. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of gave it to you because, again, it's one of those classic films that everyone said, oh, you have to watch this. Um, and I just watched it. I, I can't remember I watched it. I think it was this year, maybe, or the end of last year. Um, and so I kind of just wanted to, because you gave me Psycho first, and yeah. I wanted to give you a film which uh, in some ways was comparable, obviously similar time, um, sort of big you know, um, sort of a very well-received film, um, but also what film which I thought you might not necessarily enjoy. Like, some people, I can see why some people 
wouldn't like it as much as as most people. Um, so it was a kind of film which I thought would be very interesting to get your thoughts on in terms of you know whether you actually liked it or if you like what you thought about it basically. Sure, and and I'll get into that now. So uh, awful, dreadful, one of the worst ones I've seen. Podcast done. So I've got to be honest. When I got Twelve Angry Men. Um, I was not happy, particularly. Uh, you know, I, I thought to myself, you know, I kind of thought, well, I guess it's good that he made it because I'd never watch it on my own. I've seen the film poster before, you know, and I've seen kind of clips and it's it's a lot of kind of old angry men, you know, funny enough. And it's just um, <laughs> quite stuffy feeling and I was just like, oh, this is going to be so, you know, like timely and... Um, it's going to be so like you know outdated and I just you know and I think that um, as much as I, I try and avoid it and, and be a little bit more um, you know um, adaptable you know I think there is uh, an aversion to to black and white that is natural amongst everyone that grows up in a you know age of, of 4D um, the idea of, of stripping it back is something that you know does cause a little bit of, con- of concern or whatever but when I you know after being being given it I, I um and I came in there, you know, we talk about going to films of prejudice and, um, and not wanting to, to watch a film and, and not, and thinking a film was better than it is because of the reception. And I think we both felt that with, uh, with The Shining, certainly. And, uh, and you felt that with Blade Runner more than I did. And, and it was kind of the opposite of me where I kind of thought, oh God, this, I don't want to watch this. Ugh. And I saw some screenshots and some clips. I was like, oh, this is not going to be good. And, and it was kind of the thing of like, I have a prejudice against it being good. I was like, I, want, I almost want it to be bad because, you know, like, oh, the idea of sitting through it seemed like pretty de- tough. But thank God you you gave it to me because you've really hit out of the park with these last two. If I'm right in saying uh, the last two were Whiplash and this, and um, I, I feel quite similarly with both of them. Actually, more so with Twelve Angry Men in the concept of of what would you improve, and that's a very um, big thing to say starting off the review and um, got a massive statement really. But I think um, this is probably uh, the best um, piece of. Um, human study done within film arguably ever and despite the fact that it definitely has this this 50s feel when it was made it it stands up so much to um all human nature um that that you know exists then and and now in the concept of um trying of, of making assumptions quickly and and this concept of dealing with prejudices and preconceptions and and dealing with with um with, with a situation and how um simple explanation and, and calm reasonable thinking can erase um the the ignorance of, of any uh, loud voice in the room um and i think uh, it, it really you know it's all set within one room you know, there is a scene right at the beginning of the film and a scene right at the beginning of the film and one right at the end of, you know, of a courtroom and one right at the end of them leaving the uh, the courthouse. But then, you know, from, from the end of minute one to, you know, the end of minute 96, um, it's all uh, one, uh, one uh, jury room. And just the whole um, performance is almost stage play like in and just seeing each uh, one of the characters who is opposed to um, obviously spoilers for this, by the way, because, you know, it came out in 1958. But um, Jura 8, who is played by Henry Fonda, he's the only person who um, doesn't um, want the the accused uh, murderer, a young um 
uh, they kind of call him a slum kid. I, I believe you know it's supposed to be an immigrant. The idea that he killed his dad and there's some really compelling evidence. He had the same type of knife to, to the one that killed him. Somebody saw you know an old woman saw him through um, apart through through a train carriage window. She saw that the, him being killed and some really compelling evidence. He can't remember the. The, his alibi is that he was at the cinema, but he can't remember the, the names of the, the films he watched. And, you know, what seems to be, as, as Jordan said, a cut and dry case, um, turns out you know, just by reasonable thinking, with no extra evidence, just by explaining and, and working it out calmly, the Jura 8 Henry Fonda commanders to convert each one of them, uh, uh, confronts the the reason why they feel so strongly and, and manages to destroy it and, and show him the, the most reasonable and logical uh, point of view just through through words and I think you know whilst as I said excellent character study and and shows um just the how I guess similar we are and that if you confront the the different parts of us that make us tick you can convince anyone of anything I also think it is a great um criticism or, or almost a powerful message to be said about the criminal justice system which I know obviously we don't live in America and I don't know how different things are in, in Britain because I'm just not educated upon it but the idea that um that really I think wish was uh, more pushed forward which is not guilty doesn't mean innocent not guilty means we don't have enough evidence to mean they're guilty and um, I think his explaining of that to different members of of the uh, of the jury and and, and, and each one um, was was so perfect and 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 done in a way that I feel like that at least kind of out of the 11 others um kind of every percentage of the, of the audience every percentage of the cinema goers uh, fits into one of those categories you know they had the the angry um like you know the the, the almost militaristic uh, character played by lee j cobb who um who who obviously sums up a large percentage of the population that was the kind of the, the person who didn't care the one that was just like, on board the sports guy uh, he he was obviously thinking there was a kind of a nerdier smaller character who ended up playing piglet uh, in real life um and i think there's a, kind of almost every sector of society summed up uh, uh, within within those characters and just this very systematic breaking down of, of barriers and walls and I thought the decision to uh, not show the case never show if he was innocent or not really did well to not distract from the true message which again was not if we knew he's guilty just whether we knew well, not if we thought he was innocent just whether we could prove that he's guilty or not which I think is a very, said, very important uh, thing to, yeah. to show uh, I think uh, the dialogue was, was so excellent uh, I think Sidney Lumet who is the director I think I believe this is his debut um, really doesn't overdo it you know really understands the role of the camera understands the role of the film itself and doesn't you know um, try and overdo it and use all these techniques that he very easily could do especially when you're obviously breaking into an industry which is a lot harder I imagine to break into in 1957 but just keeps it very kind of uh, you know unflashy you know it's just very yeah. um, basic and pure and um, I just feel like um, maybe some people I've seen have criticised the finale where you know spoilers again after the, the, the he manages to convert and um and convince each of the 12 jurors they just walk out they don't find out if he was innocent or guilty they don't show it to you don't find out you don't see the scene where the judge finds out you just see them leaving and and walking out i think a lot of people criticize that but i feel like the ending was um again like didn't distract from there was no feel-good moment because it just produced the most pure and honest uh, version of reality which is we just don't know and i think that you know that, that the the message almost is the strongest part of the film 
Um, but it's one of those things where you can analyze everything. You can analyze the dialogue, you can analyze the message, you can analyze the the performances from every single actor in it. You can analyze the directing, the, the choice of, of music. And I just don't know if there's anything you could possibly improve. It does exactly what it's supposed to do in every single way. Um, characters feel real. The twists seem compelling. Um, you know, they, they manage to to provide different areas of the, um, the 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 crime that seem believable. And, and whilst things maybe not seem, you know, you, there's different points where you think, oh, that couldn't have happened. And it, it, you get slowly brought around. Everything seems to make sense. I just feel like, you know, you know, it's just what could you possibly improve about 12 Angu Men? It's just... It is um, such a perfect example that you don't need ridiculous cameras. You don't need, um, you know, celebrity laden soundtracks. You don't need, you know, any big explosions to produce uh, a, yeah. a ridiculously compelling cinema. It's the, probably one of the, the best examples that all you need is a room. It could have been done on a stage play and I'm sure it has been done a million times since. So again, I'm I'm gonna you know I'm jumping through right to the ratings, but I, I'm gonna have to do the second time. I'm gonna have to give this a ten out of ten on on the podcast because it's just simply how could you improve this film? Well, could I was gonna you, say could I you was, give an answer? Well, what I was gonna say just one just one thing I want to say is you mentioned that about the sort of simplicity almost of the cinematography and such that you know um, you don't need flashy cameras, you don't need you know these expansive you know like eye candy shots to tell a story and Mm -hmm. i think what it does really well is even though it does feel so natural and so sort of you know just like you are sort of one of those jurors in that room it it does it in such a clever sort of subtle way where it's almost the subtlety is what gives it its quality it's kind of like you have these moments where it has really really close-ups towards the end and you know, it's all claustrophobia and tension sort of rising and it does it in a way which isn't in your face and it isn't um, sort of flashy. But I think I think that's what a lot of older films do is that, you know, obviously limitations of the time and so on, but in terms of just, have, just presenting a story in a very, very sort of clear and what seems at first to be such a simple presentation and then you think about it and it just has these sort of layers to it where you know that the, the, I said the tension and so on you know you, the camera only leaves that room for the first and last scene and you're trapped almost in in that room and then there's that release of tension at the end where okay we finally managed to get out of that out of that room and I think it's just like you say it's absolutely incredible filmmaking um, in terms of what I'd change I don't know. I mean, as you've said, you kind of said my own thoughts really in terms of that film because it's one of those films as I as you said and as I felt watching it, um it's kind of those films, oh it's it's um it's been it's been set up to be this this really classic film and it seems like such a simple premise and then you look at it and you come out after you finished it and you just think, Wow, what a film like what would you change? There's just I mean- it's just, as you said, though, the characters as well. Like, every character has a personality. Every character has a background. You never think, oh, this is a really poorly written character. Even the character you said before, which doesn't have, like, much dialogue, you, you can still, you know, that's part of their personality. And it's it's like, 
Well, just, it's amazing. I said that it's obviously called 12 Angry Men. It's about 12 characters. You yeah. know, it's not a long film at all. It's like, what, without the credits, like an hour and 20 minutes long, an hour and a half long. Yet it manages to give every single person, like, you almost don't question every anything anyone says because you see them coming around to things. You know where they stand on different issues. Um, well, there's obviously one that's particularly prejudiced. I think he's obviously, uh, you know, very basic you know showing of, of racism or whatever when he, he everyone stands up against him but every single person has a very clear and defined personality by halfway through the film you're talking about 12 different individual characters easily showing their personalities 60 minutes or, or, or 40 minutes into a film i mean that's absolutely insane the fact that they've done it so well you know if it was done on a smaller scale it'd almost be a way more understandably you know done but the fact they managed to do it for 12 individual characters is and, ab- and on his debut as well, absolute. Yeah. You know, also, you mentioned about perfection. it being a stage. Yeah, you also mentioned about it being a stage play at, at, at one point. Um, I think it was originally a teleplay, um, and then they adapted it into a film. I think. Yeah, so that makes From sense. What I remember that, anyway, but I think I that's thinking, how it was. You know, yeah. I think every single you could strip it back. I think this works. As, this would work as a radio play. This would work as a teleplay. This would work as um, you know a, a, a TV. Maybe not a TV show, but you know, a, a TV movie or, or a kind of a two-part series or whatever. I think this would work, you know, in book form. This would work in film form. Doesn't matter if you had color or it could work in. You know, I honestly think that it's a story that is so organic and pure and sets up each character so well that you know, with staying faithful to the writing and the and the, the dialogue, it could work in any medium, which is a lot more than can be said for almost anything that exists. Yeah, I think it does so well. Just about in terms of like thematically. It presents the fact that, you know, the justice system, at least the American one, uh, as shown in the film, isn't perfect. You know, sometimes a guilty person is innocent and sometimes someone's convicted of a crime is innocent and sometimes someone who's actually guilty gets off and it's kind of like this this um, this presentation almost throughout the film. You know, it's this is like a case study of, you know, you've got the 12 characters who it, who it presents as sort of a character study of those characters and then you've got the more sort of broader... You know, this is kind of like a epitome, not epitome, um, like a, what's the word? Like a, I forgot what the word is, <laughs> it's going to bug me now. There's a word which, I, I basically like this is like, um, this could represent, you know, the wider system. Um, mm. And it's just, and it just presents this, uh, this world through the, you know, these 12 Expose, characters. Expose, perhaps, is the word you No, it's kind of like, the word yeah. I'm thinking of is like, in terms of, it's one, it's a small instance which is used to represent like a wider, mm-hmm. um, like a wider theme or a wider issue. Um, but no, it's just like, as you said, it, it presents this sort of interesting conversation around, um, you know, it kind of praises, or also condemns and questions the judicial system and, you know, um, you know, to what extent the, the 12 people have to to judge you know one person's life but then the same or like the the outcome of a trial but then at the same time you know that's you know the probably the best um or one of you know it's, it's what was the best thing we've come up with so far and um you know the power of that as we've seen with with one juror who can uh you know you know as you said before it's the same evidence that's used throughout and every piece of evidence is twisted and manipulated to fit some kind of agenda and you know that the, the lawyers do that and um and henry know, fonda's even, character does that in a positive sense you exactly know. exactly yeah that's exactly what I was say. yeah you, you can 
even if you know we just don't know if he's right or not and but i think the most key part, thing it shows again is that you just don't know and that's the point is that how can you yeah. send quit someone to, to you know how can you you say someone doesn't deserve to live anymore take away their life via uh, the death penalty if you can't be a hundred percent sure of guilt and um i guess that's one argument against the death penalty is that there you know i don't think there's any way you can ever be sure anyone did anything because film footage can be changed and confessions can be fake and evidence that seems completely provable can be disproven and yeah. uh, i think this is uh, an example of that obviously in a different time without videos and you know maybe in a time where you know there's there's you know whatever it obviously is a different time where people maybe would be wanting to disprove it less than you would now um obviously that videos and stuff but yeah i think that that it really shows a very powerful message of like how can you be sure you know it doesn't matter i think the the answer is it doesn't matter if he's guilty or not because that's not the point the point is is that we can't be sure and yeah. i think uh, this deserves every single you know this is the you know me and you both um favor letterboxed over imdb we use it all the time um and and such and this film is rated as the seventh highest film ever um on imdb uh, the, uh on letterbox that has over a certain amount of reviews i think the number one is parasite um yeah. which is fair enough um but yeah seventh best you know film all the time i really couldn't disagree with it because it's just you know everything is just so well done and i think you know the fact is is not only have they developed characters so well in in quite a short runtime and with 12 characters also the performances are all quite standout how can you have 12 standout performers well you certainly do um amongst those obviously you could pull a few names out there i was gonna say i'd say obviously harry fond is the obvious answer but mm-hmm. lee j cobb being that angry the last person to turn and his kind of showing conflict with his own son I thought that was a particularly uh, strong performance. And again, you could literally say about anyone. And as I said, one of them, John Feidler, did uh, end up playing uh, Piglet, which was the first one I ever saw in cinema, Piglet's big movie. I've remembered uh, the word I was thinking of before as well. What was it? Microcosm. I see. So, yeah. But, um, you know, I could talk about this forever. Um, and I'm sure I've got more thoughts that I can't say because every time we do one of these podcasts, I think, oh, I should have said that. But yeah. I was just going to say, it absolutely does it does what it's supposed to do in the most perfect sense and is truly um, one of the best films ever seen and is one of the very few examples of I think perfect cinema I don't think there's any improvement upon it uh, I think that it is uh, you know everything about it from from the runtime to to the, the casting you know nothing could be approved upon from what I just saw and I was so happy that I uh, went to see it when I obviously uh, would not have uh, gone out I would see it anyway and um I've also got a big poster with with like hundred films to see before you die that I got for Christmas, and I scratch one <laughs> off every. You have to scratch one off every time you see it, so I'm yeah, happy to get yeah. twelve angry men done because I probably have been that'd been one of the last ones I had to do. But uh, talking about another film that is uh, on the uh, top one hundred uh, list, um, and uh, by the way, that was a I did give ten out of ten, second ten out of ten uh, in a row f- um, from the f- films Jordan picked. So um, I guess that's a, a compliment for for my northern friend. But yeah, so ten out of ten for that one. I think it's fully deserving of it. And I will moving on to, as I say, another film that's on my uh, my, my poster and another film that came out uh, a long time before uh, we were born. This film, three years later, uh, Alfred Hitchcock's um, one of the best and well-known uh, films of all time. Arguably, I'd say the shower scene um, maybe stands up with the um, Here's Johnny scene from The Shining. It's probably one of the most best-known moments from cinema history. Also, maybe Luke, I Am Your Father, or I Am Your Father, whatever. Um yeah. But yeah, truly one of the uh, kind of standouts uh, in cinema, um, Psycho. And obviously, I have no clue. Maybe you would absolutely despise it. I have uh, very little clue. Um, however, I probably assume you wouldn't. But um, I will give it a quick uh, synopsis. It's been a while since I saw the film. But um, it um, is, is a story of um, 
this it is the uh, the story of a, a woman played by um uh what's her name janet lee janet lee Duh. um who uh kind of runs away and ends up in uh, in a motel and it turns out that the uh it's, again 1960 so no spoilers here that the uh, the motel um worker that uh, she encounters is not as friendly as he uh, first seems uh, that's what i'll describe it it has um is produced a, a large number of sequels and such i think there's uh, three or four other psycho films there's a shot for shot remake with Vince Vaughn. Yeah. There's a, a TV show that was, for all intents and purposes, quite good that I did watch a, a, the first series of, which was uh, Bates Motel, based upon it. Um, and um, yeah, so I just um, gonna I asked you to watch this because it was one of the first black and white films that I ever saw, um, aside from like kids films, you know, Wizard of Oz or whatever. Mm. And it's always had a, a large um, impact on me. I think it was one of the first times that I realised how much I love film. Um, I, I think that um, it has some of the most impactful moments and, and, and really thrilling moments um, from early cinema or, or kind of classic cinema with uh, the big reveal of his mother and, and with um, with the shower scene, of course, and this uh, quite um, revolutionary concept of the um, main focus or protagonist changing halfway through. Uh, Alfred Hitchcock, obviously one of the uh, most uh, rev- loved, uh, revered uh, and, and praised uh, directors in history. So... I, I, I knew that you hadn't seen much of Hitchcock, so I thought it'd be a great way to expose you to his work and just to see if uh, if your thoughts mirror mine in being truly uh, one of the better films uh, I've ever seen, especially uh, one of the best films in the era. So go yeah, away. What do you so, think of Psycho? So as I've said on the previous pod, um, I've only seen uh, The Lady Vanishes. I think that's the only Hitchcock film that I've seen fully um, before this one. So I went into it. Uh, I knew... Uh, about Norman Bates, not about the, not necessarily about everything, but I knew that he was in it, like the character was in it. Uh, I knew that the connection to Bates Motel. I didn't know that there was sequels. I thought this was a standalone thing. Obviously, the sequels weren't. The sequels, I believe, came um, like twenty years later or fifteen years later. Yeah, and they weren't. Were they weren't directed by hated. Hitchcock. Yeah, I think yeah. they're supposed to be shit. Yeah, they're very, from what I've heard, not very good. Um, but no, so I kind of went into this somewhat blind. Like I knew. I knew of the shower scene, like, I knew that that was a thing, um, but yeah, like, so, going into this, I put it on, um, and I was just sort of, I don't know, I didn't, I didn't know what to expect, really, I knew that there was some kind of thing going on with Norman Bates, not exactly sure what, um, I always wondered whether there's a connection between him and, uh, Patrick Bateman from American Psycho, obviously the name as well has a sort of connection, I think I, I read. Af- think of that. I think I read afterwards that the they named Patrick Bateman Patrick Bateman as a reference to Norman Bates. Yeah, um, there's a lot of comparisons to make. <laughs> but yeah, but in terms, so with Psycho, okay, so it starts and obviously, um, there's this really really striking score which is used throughout. There's two pieces which kind of re- I kind of like recurring motifs. There's a more sort of subdued one, um, and then there's like a really sort of intense loud booming um sort of piece which is used during the sort of more dramatic moments and then the sort of more subdued one used intense moments um i thought this is a really really good example of tension building in film um the last 10 15 minutes i thought were very very good like masterful level suspense um 
I didn't actually because obviously I hadn't like I'd have, I didn't really know much about the film going into it, and Janet Lee playing Marion Crane, who I had no idea was going to steal forty thousand dollars, which at the time would have been you know a lot of yeah, money. Yeah. Um. Obviously, it was used to buy a house. Oh, <laughs> what's going to be used to buy a house? Mm-hmm. Um. And so can't get yeah, a shed these days. <laughs> well, if you're in land, it will. Um. But no, yeah, so... Yeah, I, I actually live in a £45,000 student shed for my university. <laughs> student shed, is that what you think? Anyway. I doubt it. Anyway, um, so, yeah, I didn't I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't know that was a plot. I also did not... So, obviously, this the famous shower scene, which I don't know if I knew she... This is, I mean, for talking spoilers anyway, so spoilers, obviously. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that she died then I probably did know but I kind of just forgot like I just thought I don't know maybe it was like a dream or I don't know do you know what I mean like I just didn't really think mm-hmm. about it um and it came like 45 minutes in and I was like looking at the I, I try and normally avoid looking how much time's left because like um you know I, I kind of want to be engrossed and not think about oh there's this long left what's going to happen or you know or um you know sometimes I feel like I'm, if I'm checking yeah, sure. the time um, it's because I'm getting bored when I'm actually not it's just because I want to see how long's left or whatever um and I looked at the timer and I was like, oh, 45 minutes in uh, and she's dead. Like, what's going on there? Like, I know Norman Bates is like a big part of this film, but I did not expect it to take that turn so early. Um, and yeah, I was just very, very sort of captivated. Like the story itself, you know, is apart from the sort of last reveal, it, the actual story itself is fairly basic, like in terms of like what happens, like a woman steals mm. some money uh, a fire investigator is hired to try and track her down. Uh, she gets killed, and then yeah, they, you know, it's like this, like it's the repercussions and um, the following ensuing murders that are resu- that come as a result of that. And but I was very very impressed. Um, and obviously, as you said, and as we've said many times, these are very very highly regarded films. Um, but I was very impressed by this. I thought some of the um, the character building and the way that sort of the subversion of, you know, you have this 45 minutes where you think, okay, the protagonist is, is quite clear and, um, you know, the, the story's going to go in a certain way, you know, she's going to, uh, you know, whatever may happen with the money and so on. But no, it was very, very um, subversive and very um, engaging throughout. I thought some of the cinematography was amazing. I thought um, mm, yeah, the use definitely. of like, as, as, the, as the film goes on, you know, these really intense sort of close-ups, as, as I mentioned with 12 Angry Men, it's kind of a similar approach, uh, works very well. And there's also this kind of voyeuristic quality to a lot of um, Hitchcock's work uh, from, from things I've I've seen and studied and so on. Like I've seen clips from Vertigo, for instance, um, for, for one of the modules I did at uni. And there's a lot of like voyeurism in, in Hitchcock's work. And I thought a lot of the, the wide sort of tracking shots which were used were very good. Um, I just thought it was a very good, exceptional performance from from Janet Lee. I thought Anthony Perkins, who um, I thought was very well regarded as pa- as, as Patrick Bateman, as Norman Bates, was um, <laughs> was universally praised from what I've seen after seeing the film. I think a few people have said that they, you know, consider his performance to be very good in comparison to some other people. I don't know how um, universal that um, praise or or sort of any kind of criticism of his performance would go, but I think in terms of portraying that character, I think he did a very good job of, obviously, with the big reveal at the end, 
um, in terms of the mother personality, I think he did a very good job throughout of of showing sort of signs and glimpses throughout of foreshadowing and I think as well I didn't expect because when when um he comes in as the mother and kills and kills Marion I was like I thought that was him at first like I didn't really pay attention or like I didn't really see what they were trying to do with like the wig or whatever mm-hmm. and so I thought that was him but then like you have the whole scene of like him running out of the house and like shouting and stuff but I didn't really put I didn't really think of it as being the mother at any point until later on when you clearly see what is supposed to be the mother and then I was like okay that was the mother earlier then okay that explains that yeah and it's kind of like you you don't even with that though it's like you could say that's a criticism of the film but I think it's just interesting that you can piece things together in different ways with with his films thank you yeah, I, th- I think that you know the the shower scene is is you know one of the most iconic scenes in film history, and, and it, for good reason. I think it's one of the, the best ex- uh, examples of a kind of tension building within its own scene, you know, rather than a, a kind of overall tension. But that that, that the the music and and the, the way that the shots taken it is you know iconic for for so many reasons. However, I think the the highlight of the film in terms of uh, any particular moment is is that I think that mother reveal is. Um, you know, it's just so uh, impactful and so kind of almost terrifying in, in the kind of, uh, not in like a, in a jump scale way, but like in a kind of stuck to your seat kind of sense. Uh, I think that, that especially for the time is just, is, is so, such a massive moment and, um, and yeah. it's really the high, it kind of shows I what think... Hitchcock could do in a time when that probably wasn't very commonplace. Exactly. And I think that's, I think it's kind of, we take for granted a lot of, I think as a modern audience, we take for granted the, twist moments and, and reveals and things. I think when it was revealed that the mother was actually dead and that it was him, I don't necessarily think the reveal of the mother being dead was what hit me. I think it was more the personality. But even then, mm-hmm. you know, we've seen other films in, in recent years which have which have done that in different ways. And I think that um maybe we've taken for granted, you know, this was, you know, released in like nineteen sixty or whatever, like, you know, it's kind of, you know, got this very, you know, at the time it would have been um, such a big sort of reveal and a big moment in in the film, um, which doesn't necessarily translate, I guess, to a modern audience because we're kind of more accustomed to it. But then you also have to consider that, you know, and credit the fact that these moments are what paved the way for for later directors to to have those moments. So I think, yeah, for sure, it was wasn't necessarily a big big surprise. The other thing, I I think I also. Um, I was trying to piece together what's happening. So obviously, there's the reveal at some point of the film that the mother's been dead for for many years, um, yeah. by the by the deputy sheriff. And at that point, I was thinking, oh, okay, maybe the mother killed the um, as like a jealous moment. You know, the mother killed the uh the the, the lover and and his wife or whatever it was. Um, and I was like, I mean, it's kind of partly true. I mean, in terms of what actually happened. Um, but yeah, I thought it was interesting that uh, you kind of piecing together this this story as you go along. I don't know if I I don't know I don't know what rating you gave Psycho. Um, uh, I on I would give it. Um, I think on Letterbox I gave it a four and a half out of ten. So a four out of five, half out of five. So okay. that kind of like to about about a nine. Okay. Yeah, I was. I was going to give you my thought, my overall rating in a second, but 
I think overall, I think it's a very well constructed piece of cinema. I think the score, the performances, the story, um, cinematography, even the editing. Obviously, earlier in the film, there's these like long fades between scenes, and then mm-hmm. as this film progresses, there's quicker cuts. Um, and you also get the the monologues and the dialogue and the um, inner voice like monologues of of or the imagined dialogues of of one of the car- of Marion at one point where she's in the car, um, hearing the the sort of sorry imagining almost what the other characters would be saying, which I thought was really interesting because it kind of mirrors later on, um, you know it kind of mirrors the Norman Bates um, stuff and it's kind of this presentation of different um sort of like psychological disorders or whatever i think it was interesting as well because from a from a modern perspective i think that that sort of uh presentation and discussion around sort of mental health and mental illnesses and so on maybe obviously this is 1960s so it's a different sort of time but i think from a modern perspective it might have been sort of overplayed or overly like what's the word like not not glorified in any way or like romanticized but it's kind of this yeah yeah it's a, like it's a, a bit of a different of a presentation as what we're going to expect as a modern audience yeah but i think for its time and i think i think you know, as you a know, piece of cinema it's, it's great so i think i was kind of lucky in a way that this is my first exposure to, to hitchcock i hadn't seen the birds or anything at the time but uh, I was also quite young. As I said, it's the first time I really thought myself as into cinema. The first time I kind of put myself in, in like a, a filmy bracket. And I must have been quite young at the time. Uh, kind of when I hadn't really seen that many films before, you know, just like kids films and stuff. But I must have been kind of 11 or 12 or something. And I think my lack of, of knowledge of um, what films are like and my lack of re-understanding of an advanced narrative structure or cinematography, I think I quite lucky that you know not to like insult the older generations but i think i had a quite a, a viewpoint that might have been quite akin to those who watched in 1960 who hadn't been exposed to you know the 60 years of film afterwards um i think you know when i experienced a lot of the things that happened in that film for the first time it probably was because that was the first time that they'd come about and and now maybe everything's so oversaturated that you know maybe some elements aren't so special but you know i think stuff like the very clear and obvious narrative change in um in the protagonist i think was a must have been a massive deal in 1960 that probably hasn't done that much before and i think that you know the the cinematography is probably the you know i say i think it's an excellent film it's definitely one of my favorites definitely up there kind of top 50 25 whatever lists for, for for sam houston but I think if um, I did refer to myself as the third person there, um, but the um, strongest part of a very strong film for me would be the cinematography. I think this is such a, a, a kind of um, base for for so much that comes. From it. I think that's what I'd say would be for me the strongest part of a very strong film would be the cinematography. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think you maybe enjoy it a bit more than I do, but I guess that's just as you said from part for of personal reasons. Sure. But mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I think just in terms of like a sort of wrapping up in terms of going towards like a rating and so on, I think I'm probably going to lean more towards like a four, four and a half. I'm not sure whether it mm-hmm. has quite enough. Um, I don't know. It's kind of hard though because I feel like I'm I'm judging it on the final ten minutes, which as I said before were very very tense and very good. And then I think the reveal is um, 
is obviously a big part of, of, of your impression of a film coming out of it. And I don't know if it hit me as hard as, as maybe other people who, who haven't seen it before. Um, maybe me, I, th- I think it wasn't the fact that she was dead. I think it was the... the no, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. The, the gruesomeness but, of it. Or I, did, I didn't expect it to look like that. Yeah. And I think I think the bigger sort of, obviously, revelation is, is the split personality, um, which, again, as I said, I, as I've seen... Um, other sort of films and so on who which have done similar things so i don't know if it hit me as as much and i don't know whether my impression is is sort of being tarnished by by that aspect of it but in terms of like as you said cinematography and score and acting performances and direction and the actual plot itself and the way that you know such a simple seemingly simple at least plot can be um presented in such a such a nice and sort of well presented way i think was what i think pushes it up up there in terms of like film like it's rating as a film um mm-hmm. but yeah i don't know like if i'd have i don't know it's kind of hard to judge as i said because of of those th- factors but i think i mean you know the, as i said that last 10 minutes was was so good in terms of tension and so on and there was a moment actually where i i didn't particularly see if it was a horror i mean same as the shining i guess you can kind of view it as a horror in a way um like a psychological one i guess but there was one moment involving a mirror uh, towards the end, which actually made me quite jump, um, mm. and was part of part of that tense, tense sort of final part of the film. And obviously, as I said before, I thought the acting was incredible um, all round. Pretty much, there was a couple of, you know, sort of side characters who you know were just sort of one of not one of the mill in in a, in a sort of particularly bad way, but you know nothing. You know, they didn't have exactly have enough screen time to to carry a, an exceptional performance, but I think. The main, the main sort of characters who carried the story were very good. Um, Norman Bates was, especially that final scene uh, in in the prison or wherever he was in sort of in that in that room uh, at the end of the film was was mm. very very good. Um, and yeah, just yeah, just a great film. I think I'm gonna probably on a letterbox score probably a four if I could go between the f- if I could go for like an eighty five out of eight point five out of ten. I'll do for that probably, but yeah, so, probably so good, but no kissing booth too. <laughs> it's kind of on a, I think it's kind of on a part of the shining for me, um, in a way that it has this very very well put together. Um, it was probably a lot cinema. better at the time. Yeah, but it was probably a lot better at the time in terms of its shock value, in terms of its like, mm-hmm. you know, this innovation. This is, yeah, yeah, and in terms of just the way the way it's presented, I think. Um, for sure was one of those films where at the time it would have been uh, new and shocking. Yeah, uh, I think that's a great way to wrap it up. And um, so, yeah, so two very very good films. Uh, I obviously felt a little bit stronger uh, in towards the, the positivity of 12 Men yeah. that you did against Psycho, but that's not saying that you didn't like Psycho. Two uh, classic yeah. films that are as well-known and, and well-received uh, as they uh, were when they came out for, for good reason. And that wraps up for this uh, for this film part of the podcast, review part of the podcast. And now we're going on to the usual section where we talk about next episode. However... I am away, as I previously said, and I won't be able to record, uh, I won't have any room, and I, I can't bring all my recording stuff. So, therefore, we are going to be doing something a little bit different, aren't we, Jordan? Yes, we're going to be doing... So, I've had an idea for a while now, and it was originally going to be with student media on TV, but it kind of makes more sense to do it in a film podcast than anything. Um, so, the idea is, if you've ever heard of uh, Desert Island Discs, which is a BBC Radio 4 programme in which... Uh, 
typically you would pick uh, eight um, eight songs or like eight single tracks, uh, which have some kind of significance to you, uh, which you take to a desert island, and you can only pick eight, and they're the only eight you can listen to and have with you. And you'd also take a book and a luxury item. Uh, for this, we're going to be calling it. Uh, I mean, I've dubbed it. I hope hope it sticks. Um, Desert Island DVDs, although hopefully Blu-rays rather than DVDs. Um, <laughs> Lazy discs. And so we're going to be doing. Um, what did we agree on in the end? I think it was five. Did we do five films five fi- and five three films TV shows? And three TV shows. Yeah, so that yeah. makes up for the eight. And then we are taking one luxury item and a cinema snack because Jordan can't read. Well, I don't like books. I don't read. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah, we're going to have five films, three um, three TV shows, uh, luxury item and, and the cinema snack that um, we we could watch a lot of times and sums up different parts of, of our lives. And that will be coming uh, this time next week, uh, Friday, um, which was uh, obviously... Uh, so, so same as usual but we're going to pre-record it obviously and uh, so but and then for the future after that with the way cinema's coming things coming back we don't know if next episode after so the next recorded episode after next this week whether in two weeks time we'll be doing another I've never seen or whether it will be going back into now showing or it'll be a mix of the two you really can't say because you know cinema's up uh, you know yeah. it's a strange place right now there's but a few I'm, things coming out on Netflix soon which obviously Project mm-hmm. Power is out soon um, and there's a couple of other Netflix originals which are being released sort of this week and next week and moving yeah. forward so maybe some of those as well mm-hmm. and, and you know and so you say cinema's changing I don't think I mentioned it but I am going to the cinema for the first time since the 3rd of March hey. so go see the uh, superhero film I, I, I how do I keep finding superhero films I haven't seen but I am going to go watch uh, Batman Begins, uh, starring uh, Christian Bale, of course. Very underrated. Trilogy. Great and film, the, I love I it. haven't seen that one. I have obviously seen the next two, um, and I absolutely adore The Dark Knight. Um, and yeah, so very looking forward to seeing that and seeing that one, mate, tomorrow at three o'clock um, after we're filming this. So about an hour and a half after the podcast comes out, probably, whatever time we release it. Um, and yeah, so I'm really hyped for that. So cinemas are coming back, obviously. So what we'll be doing in the future? Not so sure. But I'm sure it will be a hoot, whatever it is. Watching so, Mr. Robot, that's what you'll be doing. Oh, yes, also watching Mr. Robot, of course. <laughs> so, that about wraps it up uh, for this episode of the Now Showing Podcast. Uh, we are available, of always, uh, on everything where you listen. Uh, so, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever. Uh, please give us a five-star review. I'm begging, give a five-star review uh, on Apple Podcasts because that helps us go up in the rankings. Uh, if you want to contact me, you can do it at nowshowingpod.gmail.com. Uh, if you want to ask anything for the pod or please give us sponsorships uh, if you want to get me on letterboxd i am um at sam houston or you know whatever sam houston and i have got if you like mma as always i'm going to plug the gatekeepers mma podcast which is available on all the same places you can get this except for not on apple um and for jordan uh, if you want to get his letterboxd you can go for jl mcdonald and if you want to go for his twitter it's at by jordan luke and uh, and yeah that's uh, that's about it and um Yeah, see you next week. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Bye-bye.